0: Hey, it's Miles, and you are listening to the Auburn Community Church Podcast. Normally, you hit play on this, and we jump straight into a sermon, but we wanted to take a second and invite everyone in our extended family into this season of generosity that we're stepping into as a church. We want to invite you. If you're a podcast listener, you follow along with what God has been doing through our church in this season please pray and consider whether or not God is calling you to give a financial gift above and beyond what you would normally give. It's no secret that this is a time of crazy expansion for our church as we're opening a new building and new locations and saying yes to missionaries and local ministries and ministry initiatives all over the place. And we want to invite you to participate in what God is doing through our church this is by no means a burden or you have to give this is a blessing and we feel like we get to give and you're invited into it so whether that's on Venmo or on our website or reaching out about all the ways to give maybe think about starting the discipline of giving weekly or monthly, even if that's just $5 or $10 or $15. We want to invite our people to invest into what God is doing through Auburn Community Church. We love you guys Now enjoy this message.
1: You guys can grab a seat. I love that we had the opportunity to sing that song available, shine kids, you guys can leave. Uh, I love that we sang that song because it's such a reminder to me of how we're supposed to respond to God. And earlier this year, we even had a series all about all of the times where God showed up and somebody said the words, here I am, or here am I. And so even today, we're about to open up the story of Zechariah and Elizabeth and Angel Gabriel appearing with the word of God. And I just think it's amazing that we got to start today off by saying, here I am. I'm available. Lord speak. I want to hear from you. And so if you're new here, you've never been here before, my name is Gage Henry, and I'm the college and community pastor here, and I'm not the lead pastor here, but uh, our lead pastor is actually in Birmingham, Alabama right now, um, enjoying his time over there in Birmingham. Um, I know today's already, there's barely a seat in this room. Um, I think there's some overflow. Overflow, can we hear you? Yeah. Yeah over there in Bethlehem or something. Hey guys, so glad y'all made it to church today, enjoying it. Um, and you know, honestly, uh, it's, this is my second week in a row being able to open up God's word to speak it. And uh, I have just become more and more grateful for Miles in doing that, uh, the fact that he does this every week. And I know he would hate me doing this, but he's in Birmingham, so I'm gonna do it anyways. But can we just thank Miles for the way that he has led us in this season? opening a building, opening up God's word. And I, I, if you're not clapping in Birmingham, please start clapping right now, because that would be uncomfortable. Um, but but are so grateful for the way that he honestly just stands before God and leads our staff to love Jesus more. It's more about that than any building we build or anything else. And I know for me, I'm just so grateful for, for the opportunity to be led by him. And, and my wife and I, uh, she's on the front row over here. My wife and I just celebrated our five-year anniversary this week. Come on, raise it, praise it. Um, So grateful uh, again to be married five years. And it's also like a little discouraging at times. And what I mean by that is how much I haven't changed since we got married. I don't know if anybody can relate. Like it doesn't matter, no matter what, no matter how many times you tell me what we're doing this weekend, I am going to ask you on Friday, what are we doing this weekend? Can I get an amen from some wife in the room? Yes, okay. Preach, thank you, I will. But, you know, it's been very encouraging this year, and just thinking back to to our marriage, we had the opportunity to kind of think back on the different stories and things that have happened this year, because it's always hits in December time. What's interesting to me is I feel like what God has been showing me personally is exactly where we're going today in the scriptures, and that's that God is so personal with His Word. And what I mean by that is He is so intentional to every detail of our lives when we study His Word. So if you need a title for this sermon, the thing that I feel like I have learned this year is that God hears you. God hears you. God hears all of us. Not just all of us, but you personally. And so in thinking back to this past year, you know the most vivid memory that I had of this entire year was actually back in January of this year. And it was me in the car in the hospital parking lot as my wife is going into surgery because of a miscarriage. And I can't even go into the surgery because of COVID restrictions. So there are tears on the steering wheel as I sit there for four hours waiting for this to finish. And God met me. God was so close. He heard every prayer that I uttered. And at the same time, I'm just not, just, it's not lost on me that today we're about to open up a story about a childless couple waiting the arrival of the birth of Jesus. And now, my wife is 32 weeks pregnant and our due date is January. Right. I know this isn't, a, 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 I, just, I, just, I just want you to see. This is how personal God is to you as well. This isn't just me on stage because I'm a pastor. This is available to you. So what I want to do is I want us in this Christmas time to open up God's word and let him invade our personal lives. I want him to become so personal by every single word that he speaks. I want you to love what you see and not just think that it's generic or just theological. No, it is personal. We serve a God who knows us and who hears our prayers. And it's so encouraging to me, but at the same time, I know how most of us are in Christmas time. Can we be honest? The, the first thing to go and during Christmas time is your Bible. It's the thing that we leave behind. Let me just ask you this question to be a little convicting. How much did you open your Bible over Thanksgiving? That's probably an indication of what December is going to look like. Yet, this is the time where we remember the arrival of Jesus. Last week, we talked about the ascension into heaven, and now we're talking about the arrival from heaven. And so to make sure that we're on the same page, Zechariah gets a personal word from God. So I just want to ask you point blank. This might be a little convicting of a question, but I just want to ask you, what is the last thing that God spoke to you personally? I mean, like impressed on your heart. Like you opened up the pages of scripture and he was speaking to you. What's the last thing that he spoke to you personally? And here's what we're gonna discover today. We have an opportunity to respond when God speaks. So if you have your Bible, hold it up. Hold it up in Overflow, hold it up online, Huntsville, Lake Martin, hold it up in Birmingham right now. We're gonna be turning to the Gospel of Luke, but I've been kind of debating on what to do for Bible drill, so if you love eggnog, keep it up. Wow. Just a few here in Auburn. You guys are crazy. Um, y'all are just built different, let me just say that. Nobody really likes eggnog. Everybody turn with me to Luke chapter 1. If you like eggnog, you're like uh, someone I want to take into like a wilderness and like hunt and survive and stuff. Like, those are the kind of people that I think of. We're going to be in Luke chapter 1, talking about the foretelling of the birth of John the Baptist, So we're going to start in verse 5. Give you a little time to get there. So Luke, by the way, is uh, Luke chapter 1 is actually the longest chapter in all the New Testament. But we're going to start in verse 5. If you're there, say, "I'm I'm there. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive. And they were both very old. Once, when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. All right, let's stop there. We're going to continue the story. Let's just stop there. Looking back, in the time of Herod, king of Judea, why does that matter? So in this time period, the oppression of God's people was never greater than that of, let's say, Pharaoh. So how oppressed they were in this moment right now resembles a lot of what they felt when they were enslaved in Egypt. And think about this, okay. 400 years of slavery of Egypt. That's what the Israelite people had gone through. But then it says in Exodus 2.24 that God remembered his covenant to Abraham. So he delivers his people from slavery. And now think about this, 400 years of silence. I don't know if you know this, between Malachi and Matthew, 400 years of silence, no prophetic word going out, but God was still working. Even in the silence. But there are 400 years of silence. And now, the first thing that is spoken, the first thing that we read about in Luke, is about a priest named Zechariah. You know what Zechariah means? God remembers again. That's what his name means. God remembers again. And he belonged to the priestly division. And his wife, Elizabeth, which um, is just so amazing, because you know what Elizabeth means? My God is my oath. So together, those two names, immediately in the story, what we would see is that God remembers his promises, that this is the same God that we knew about, the same God that delivered us from the the slavery, the yoke of oppression in Egypt, is now this God that we're reading about. Continuing on, verse six, both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly, but they were childless. Okay, this is interesting. In Jewish perspective, if you did not have a child, that means that you were cursed. Ultimately, what it means is typically, if you did not have a child, it was because there is a part of your life, you have sin in your life, that causes you to be unrighteous. So if you didn't have a child, everybody in the community is thinking, oh, there's probably some hidden sin. But here, Luke is very intentional with the details. He's saying they're righteous and childless, which means two things. Number one, it means the fact that even though they didn't have a child, they remain righteous. And number two, the reason why they didn't have a child isn't because they weren't following God to a teach. So there's something for all of us to learn in that. I think so many of us have a righteous yet blank. Fill in the blank. See, I'm righteous, I'm living right, but I'm still waiting on a child. See, I'm righteous, but I'm still depressed. Righteous yet, fill in the blank for you. What's your insecurity there? This is her insecurity. This is part of her story. Continuing on in verse eight. Once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood. Okay, that's really interesting. I didn't understand this until I studied it, but in Israel, there were 18,000 priests, 18,000 priests, and only 14, one, four, were chosen every year to do exactly what Zechariah is doing. And once you were chosen, you could only do that once in your entire life, which means Zechariah is literally stepping in to the lottery. He has won it This is why he has breath in his lungs. Him as a priest, everybody would be thinking, wow, he has won the lottery. He's actually going to offer up the incense in the holy place? Come on. This is the custom of the priesthood. And Zechariah, this is his moment. Why he has breath in his lungs. He's about to experience it, right? Continuing on. To go into the temple to burn incense. So why would he burn incense? So what the, the priest would do is they'd walk into the holy place, And they would burn incense, and you would see the smoke rising out of the temple. And that was symbolic of the fact that those were the prayers of God's people ascending to heaven. As you saw the smoke go up, as you saw the incense go up, that meant that God was hearing you. That meant that he was hearing the prayers of his people. And if you think about it, at the end of Luke, in the ascension of Jesus, what happens? All of his disciples go back to the temple, continually praising and worshiping God. And here we are at the beginning of the story and all of God's people are around the temple praying for the Messiah and their prayers are heard, worshiping God, so powerful. And God hears their prayers. Let's continue on in verse 11. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. What an announcement. What a proclamation. This is so powerful. John is going to be the one to prepare the way for Jesus. Now, I just want you to picture this as this priest ascends to the holy place, a beautiful golden altar, lays out the coals, prays a prayer, and then, boom, an angel appears to him. And what happens? Verse 13 angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah, your prayer has been heard. Interesting, because right after that, which prayer had been heard? Think about this. He's in the temple praying a priestly prayer, waiting for the coming of the Messiah. He's asking for the Messiah to come, for the deliverance of Israel to come. And so when the angel appears and says, your prayer has been heard, immediately I'd be thinking the same thing. I'd be thinking, wow, the Messiah must be here. And he says what in verse 14? Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son. And you are to call him John. See, what's so interesting is immediately he answers the prayer that Zechariah had been praying, just not in the temple. For their whole life, they'd been praying for a child. They'd been wanting a child. And now he's praying for the kingdom of God. And the angel appears and says, your prayer has been heard. I'm giving you a child. Simultaneously, he's answering both prayers. And he says, you're going to name him John. So the only time that God names people, it means there's a specific task that that person is to fill. And that's why there's a vow that follows up with it. That's why you're not to drink. You're not to have fermented drink of any kind. Like, you're not supposed to have wine. And, and, what else? Your baby, John, will be filled with the Holy Spirit before he's even born. Which, I just got to say it. The blatantly obvious reminder of the value of life in God's eyes. Once again, blatantly obvious. He will be filled while he's still in your stomach with the Holy Spirit because I got a task, task for him. He's going to prepare the way for the Messiah to come. Zechariah, your priestly prayer is answered and your personal prayer. Because look at verse 16. He, John, will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. See, the thing that he was actually praying for, that's the answer. That's what he was praying for. He wanted the people to be delivered. Verse 17, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And Zechariah would not have missed this fact that the last promise given in the Old Testament at the end of Malachi is quoted by Gabriel here. Link's the first promise of the New Testament. Check it out. For dramatic effect, if you want to turn there, you can turn to Malachi chapter 4 just so you can see it yourself. This is the last thing that is spoken in the Old Testament before the 400 years of silence. Malachi 4, verse 5. See, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. Check this out. He will turn the hearts of the parents to their children. See, immediately Zechariah, a priest, would 100% know that Gabriel is quoting Malachi. 400 years earlier, 400 years of expectation, 400 years of anticipation, 400 years of waiting for the announcement of the Messiah. And here, Gabriel is showing up to him saying, It's happening, it's here. The promise of old is coming to pass right now in front of our eyes, and he will come in the power and spirit of Elijah. Your son is gonna be the one to make ready a people for the Lord. Your son is gonna be the one who actually announces the coming of the Messiah. Your son's gonna do this. Your prayer has been heard. And, And I think for me, just to be honest, I think I look into the scriptures and some stories are like too good to be true or like too good to apply to my life. Like this is like too good to be true, right? If you think about it, like I want you right now to think about the time in your life where you got some news where you just immediately, it was like the best news ever. Like you found out you're having a kid. You found out she might say yes if you propose. Like what is the moment? Maybe it was the time that you got the announcement letter that you got into the great University of Auburn. You're like, I'm going to Auburn, War Eagle, right? For me, it was Georgia, sorry. (Laughter) um, uh, Yeah, I'm in my Roll Tide shirt, though, for the Birmingham people, so there you go. Um, They're not making the playoff, though. Sorry. Um, So, I don't even know where I was. Um, Great news. Uh, Great news. What does Zechariah respond with? Let's look at it. Verse 18. It says that Zechariah asked the angel, How can I be sure of this? think about all that he knew, think about all that he'd experienced. And this is his response to the word of God. How can I be sure of this? You've got the wrong guy. I'm an old man and my wife is well along in years. The angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I've been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that this happens, because you did not believe my words. Because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. So there's a lot to draw out of this conclusion of Zechariah, but Zechariah is responded with, I am Gabriel. So what's interesting is he asks him, he says, how can I be sure of this? Typically what happens is when a word of prophecy goes out, there's like an observable physical sign that proves that it's true. So he says, how can I be sure of this? And then he goes silent, which I think is amazing because it proves the reality of the message. Every time he tries to talk for the next nine months, he's reminded of the truth of what was uh, told and spoken to him. Think about this. This is so beautiful. The silent years of God conclude 400 years of silent years, they conclude. And then the first word that is spoken to a man, he rejects. So he goes silent. Why? Because you did not believe my words. And now peering into our lives, peering into our situations, our stories, how often is this us? How often do you read this book and think that it could lie to you? Here's what's amazing about God is that God cannot lie. Everything that he speaks is true. And so when we come to the word of God, what's amazing, and I love this about God, God is not who I think he is. God is not who you think he is. God is who the Bible says he is and who he reveals himself to be. So we get to step into this word. And you know why we are doubting when we come into his presence, when we come into this word? You know why we doubt? Because of sin. Sin lives in us. And so it's hard for us to believe sometimes that what God says is true and to trust his promises because of the sin that is in us. So let's finish the story. Verse 21. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. When he came out, he could not speak to them, and they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple, for he kept making signs to them and remained unable to speak. So typically what would happen is the priest would come out after he had burned incense, and he would walk out, and he would say the number six blessing, the priestly blessing. May the Lord bless you and keep you, make his face shine upon you and give you peace. Normally, he would come out and he would declare that and everybody would go home and it'd be amazing. They worship God. Now he comes out, he can't speak, and we know later that he was probably deaf, but everybody can see his eyes are glowing. He's seen something. Something happened in there. And it says that he stayed in verse 23. When his time of service was completed, he finally returned home. And after this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people." So if you wanna know why she hid out for five months, why she was in seclusion for five months, there's a lot of like scholarly debate, but the fact of the matter for me is, is that when an old woman says she's pregnant, you don't believe her until she's showing. So she's finally showing and she comes out of seclusion to say, no, this is real, I really am pregnant. So if you want to know what just happened in this story and how it applies to our lives, I just got one statement that I think will be helpful. Notice what happened. God answers a prayer fulfilling his own promise with a word that's personal. Think about this. God answers a prayer fulfilling his own promise with a personal word. He comes to Zechariah. He comes to Zechariah, invades his personal life. And I think the same can happen for all of us. See, if you want God to invade your personal life, you have to have a personal approach to his word. If you want God to invade your personal life and get in your business and tell you how to live so you can obey him, you have to take a personal approach to the word of God. And I believe that Luke is trying to illuminate something in the response. Because if you look in your Bible next, Gabriel's about to appear to Mary, and we're going to get to that later. Gabriel appears to Mary. And her response is very different what you see in Zechariah. See, Zechariah demands proof, whereas Mary displays curiosity. So if you look what happens, it's, it's honestly mind-blowing to me how Zechariah demands, like, demands certainty. Like, he wants to know for sure. How can I be sure of this? I wanna be certain. Well, as Mary, you're gonna see, displays this curiosity, this I wanna understand. I wanna know what you are doing. So verse 18, it said, how can I be sure of this? Um, some other translations of that verse New Living Translation says, how can I be sure this will happen? The message says, do you expect me to believe this? The NASB says, how will I know this for certain? Which brings me to a point. I think a lot of us need to understand the difference between certainty in approaching God and curiosity. So you can write this down. Certainty is, I don't believe you until I see it. I don't believe you until I see it. But curiosity is, I believe you because of who said it. I believe you because of who said it. So certainty is demanding an outcome. In fact, I believe most of us, we worship certainty over Jesus half the time. We'd rather know the plan. We'd rather know the answer. We'd rather know the result rather than trust that Jesus is enough on the journey and accept the invitation into curiosity on the journey. And so what happens here is you see Zechariah respond with how can I be certain? But look at verse 19. The angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I have been sent to you to speak to you and to tell you this good news, this gospel. I've been sent, I am Gabriel. You know who I am? See the credibility of the message depends on the messenger. That's why you attack the credibility of a witness in a trial. Because you wanna believe the credibility. Who is Gabriel? Think about this, who's Gabriel? He appears to Mary. Who else did he appear to? Daniel. And in Daniel chapter nine, it's the most confusing passage, probably in Daniel. Gabriel appears to Daniel and says, there's an anointed one coming. The Messiah is coming. You're just gonna have to wait well. And here, he's appearing before him. Zechariah would have known that. In fact, during the writing of Luke, it's believed the most popular book of the Old Testament was Daniel. So Zechariah is standing there, he's like, I'm Gabriel. I'm the guy who gave Daniel the plan that now you're fulfilling, now you're living in. I stand in the presence of God. I came from the throne room. I'm bringing you this good news, the gospel, to you, that your son will prepare the way for Jesus and his gospel. How amazing is this, that God is working. But if you notice how he responds, it says so much about our expectations. He expected to never have a child In fact, I would argue Zechariah had made up his mind about his reality and he had left God out of the equation. And it's what so many of us do all of the time. When we look at our lives, we either project disappointment from our past into the future or we convince ourselves, we make up our minds that nothing is going to change. I am stuck here. And that's what Zechariah did. But for me, the invitation that I see in this passage of scripture is to let God's faithfulness in his past be the best predictor of his faithfulness in the future. Think about this. What stories would a priest, and it says that she, Elizabeth, was a descendant of Aaron, which is like a preacher's daughter. Think about it. A preacher and a preacher's daughter are married. They know all the stories. What stories their entire marriage, their entire life, have they been holding on to? They can't have a kid. I don't know, maybe the father of their faith, Abraham who couldn't have a son until his old age. They give birth to Isaac. I don't know, maybe uh, let's talk about Hannah, who gives birth to Samuel, when no one expected it, the prophet. Like, they would have known all of these stories, yet they let their circumstances. He had made up his mind about his situation, and it kept him from enjoying the promise that Gabriel was giving him. You will have a son. So I think for so many of us, we have to stop letting the discouragement of our current situation Keep us from being audacious enough to believe that these promises apply to you. We have to stop letting the the challenge of what we see right in front of us keep us from what God says here in this book. And so I actually wrote this down in the middle of kind of our trial and our situation, our circumstance. I wrote this down in my journal. I will no longer let the discouragement of what I am going through make me forget the God that I belong to. I will no longer let the discouragement of what I am going through keep me from believing the God that I belong to. I won't forget you, God. You didn't forget me. I know you hear me. Every prayer that I utter is personal, and you show up in a powerful way. He's worthy of our trust. Let's finish it, verse 25. The Lord has done this for me, said Elizabeth. In these days he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. Here's what's so amazing is that once Elizabeth gets the news, She's so ecstatic and so excited, and she becomes pregnant. And she says, The reason why I've been disgraced in this community for so long is the fact that I haven't had a child, and now I'm receiving a child. She's so ecstatic, so excited. You want to know what John means? God is gracious. The name John means God is gracious. Not only am I going to take away this part of disgrace in your life, I'm going to name him that. This is who your son is going to be. God is gracious. And I think it's so personal for a reason that our insecurities become the backbone of hope in our testimony. This moment she'd been disgraced and now she's having a son named God is gracious. It's so beautiful. And so in the rest of the time that we have together, what I want to kind of illuminate is how personal God's word has become, even to our church. So in the last few weeks, something weird has been happening, just so you know, if I can let you in on this for our staff, every single time a message is preached or every single time a passage of scripture is read, it's like somebody in the crowd has that exact situation and circumstance they're going through and God meets them in a personal way. I mean, let me just give you an example so you know what I'm talking about. A few weeks ago, uh, we did a, a sermon series or a sermon on the walk to Emmaus. you remember this one? Or two disciples, even after hearing the resurrection or walking away from Jerusalem, they're going to Emmaus, and the resurrected Jesus appears to them. And what does he say? Go back. Turn back on the road. Ultimately saying, turn back on the road to Christ. Stop going your way. Start going back towards Christ. That's, that was the message that was preached. That night, I saw this guy. He was acting kind of, you know how you just kind of see somebody kind of acting a little strange, knowing, like, man, God feels like he's speaking to that guy. You can kind of just tell And afterwards, I start talking to him, and we'd been friends for a little bit. I met him last year. He begins telling me a story. He's like, Man, it's crazy. I haven't been here in a while. And I felt like this word was perfect for me. Like it was speaking to me. Like I'm supposed to turn back from the direction I'm going. I want Jesus to be the center of my life. I want to go back to God, but I feel like the world is pulling me this way. And then I had the moment that every pastor fears most. I'm about to pray for him, and I don't know his name. And I wasn't about to give the whole, like, God, just pray for this guy this bro this man and so he kind of sees this in me and he like looks at me kind of smirks he's like I know you don't remember my name I'm like sorry can you tell me your name and he says my name is Christopher Rhodes I was like hold up hold up you came to church today and you were going this way and now you want to go back to Jesus you want to go back to Christ and your name is Rhodes to Christ your name means road back to Christ and you're here at church for the first time in a long time, and you're hearing God speak to you, saying you're supposed to go back to Christ. Yeah, dude, I think you're supposed to go back to Christ. I think I can pray for you right now. I think I know exactly what to pray for you right now. I think it's time to go back to Christ, and he's gonna be here today. He might be here right now, so what's up, Chris? He said I could share this story, but this is crazy, right? So this has happened every single week. Even to the detail of Baptism Sunday, we had 62 stories of the promises of God, amazing. The last thing at North Metro that Miles and I got to see, the last thing that he did was a baptism service where 62 students were baptized. Okay, God, what are you doing here? This is so personal, so specific to a story. So this is my first point. I'm gonna do kind of the same thing. Every single point has a story based on a word that's been preached. It's find the prayer that communicates your situation. If we're gonna search the scriptures in a personal way and let him invade our lives, we have to have a personal approach to the word of God, not for ourselves, but so that our heart can be aligned with his. And so here... Find the prayer that communicates your situation. Think about this. Zechariah was praying a prayer for his people. He's praying this specific prayer, this priestly prayer, yet Gabriel answers him in the middle of that prayer with a personal answer. So, a few years ago, my, my mom uh, has breast cancer, and we found out that she had breast cancer, and we started praying different things. And someone told me, though, you should pray Hezekiah's prayer, where he asks for healing and asks for, and then God grants him 15 more years of life. And so we've been praying that for years, and finally I was talking to my mom, and I was like, Mom, it's been 15 years since you were first diagnosed with cancer. Maybe we should ask God for 15 more. Like, Amen. see, when you pray the prayers that are actually in, on these pages, all of a sudden they become so much more powerful than, God, I just hope you do something. God, it would be really awesome if you answer this now. When you start looking at what Paul says in Romans or Philippians or Ephesians, or you look at an Old Testament prayer, and you say, God, I want this to be true of my life. Maybe a psalm? You know, last week, I preached about the ascension of Jesus, and I don't know why, but I felt led at the very end of the message to just say Psalm 1611, which is what we read to start this gathering. I don't know why I felt led to just, hey, I want the last thing to be heard was the word of God, not my words. And so as we're leaving, I finally meet up with a lady in our church who's a prayer warrior in our church, and she's like, that was for me. And I was like, what do you mean? She's like, every single part of my life story that has been bad God has illuminated Psalm 1611. You know, this past week, she was in and out of the hospital with a health scare. And in the middle of that health scare, decided to show up to church just because. And at the end of the gathering, all of a sudden, she's hearing Psalm 1611. You know why? Because God is that personal. God is that specific. And if you want to know what it is, Psalm 1611, you make known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. When you make your prayers God's prayers, man, your life can change quickly, aligning your heart with his. That's point number one. Point number two, find the promise that combats your self-doubt. When you're searching the scriptures, you have to find the promise that combats your self-doubt. Think about this. What was the doubt that they had? the unbelief that he had. He could not have a child, yet God takes away his disgrace. Think about the promise that they were holding on to. Malachi 4, 400 years, knowing that a Messiah is coming, knowing that this is possible, this epic moment, they're waiting on the Messiah. This is the promise they've been holding on to. And all of a sudden, things change. He shows up, yet they didn't believe. You have to have a promise to hold on to in your insecurity and in your self-doubt. So two weeks ago, another cool sermon moment, Two weeks ago, Miles was preaching on uh, the meal, if you remember this, the plan of God, the way to, we're going to save the world is actually through our table, inviting people over to have a meal, and the promise that was in that scripture was that the Messiah will suffer and rise from the third day, and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached to all nations. So the repentance of sin will be preached to all nations. After this, there's a girl that comes up to me. Her name is Eva Droganovich. She was baptized at this church. She came to know Jesus at this church. This has been part of her story. She's plugged into this church. We actually shared her story at Easter, and she's from Serbia, another country, a different nation. And she comes up to me, and she's almost like shaking out of excitement. She's like, oh my gosh, you will not believe this. You will not believe this. Look at this picture. And she showed me this picture. And she said, look at the timestamp. See, that Sunday was November 20th. She showed me the timestamp. November 20th, a year ago. And she said, this Friendsgiving was the time where these girls from your church invited me over for a meal. It was the first encounter I had with believers. I was like, you have to be kidding me. You have to be kidding me that the promise that we're literally preaching, the word that's going out right now, she's like, yeah, I am walking proof of that promise that we read about. I'm not even from this nation, even that detail. But I'm here now, the promise that we see You can hold on to one for yourself, for your self-doubt, for what you're going through in your situation. Point number three is this. Find the person that collides with your story. Find the person that collides with your story. See, Zechariah and Elizabeth, what story in the Bible had they held on to? It was probably the story of Abraham. It was probably the story of Isaac, the story of Hannah, the story of of Samuel. And all of us in our lives, we have invitations from every single character that we read about in this book to have a very intentional approach, to be ministered to by those people and by what happened in their lives. So um, I'll make it real personal for me. Uh, It was a Friday uh, before a Sunday and I get the call that my mom has been admitted into the hospital. Um, I talked about how she has cancer and the reason why is that the cancer was actually pushing up against her stomach and had caused an ulcer in her stomach. And she also, when she went in, they found a huge blood clot in her leg. And so they call me and they say, hey, it's not good. You need to get here right now. So my wife and I, we drive down to Atlanta and we go to this hospital. And they said that she is bleeding internally. And unless it magically stops or miraculously stops, she's going to die tonight. So you need to say your final words. they called the person in to execute the will. And we start making our decisions of what's gonna happen in our family next. And so we start praying. We pray and we pray and we pray. Her blood level was about a four, which I was told at five, typically, you go into cardiac arrest. Under 12 is really low. She's at a four, she has no blood left in her body. But for some reason she hangs on, she hangs on. And then that next Sunday, I asked the whole church in our prayer time, I said, hey, could you pray for my mom? You wanna know what the sermon was for that day? The double miracle about the bleeding woman. That Sunday, I'm in church, hearing the word of God being preached about a bleeding woman, who her bleeding stops. So after church, drive back to the hospital go there, I I come up, all the doctors, you won't believe this, I know exactly what's about to happen, you won't believe this, the ulcer has stopped bleeding, it's gone, and then they went to do an MRI, and they're like, the blood clot is gone, I don't know where it went, I'm like, I know, God, you're so personal, y'all, this is the God that we serve, We serve a God that is so personal to somebody even in this room who's struggling with infertility to know that this is the message that was going out today. Think about how personal God is. Every single story in here is an invasion into our world. We have the invitation to hold on to the characters before us. We have the invitation to believe that what God has done in the past, how he's been faithful in the past is the best predictor of what's gonna happen in the future. We can trust that he is worthy of our praise Because we have a God who hears us when we are suffering. We have a God who hears us when we're struggling. We have a God who hears us when we're depressed. We have a God who hears us in the most unlikely of situations. You can't have a child in your old age, no way. And here he is saying, no, your son, your son, Zechariah, is gonna be the one to prepare the way for the Messiah. That is how much I love you, Zechariah. I'm gonna be that personal in these details to show you Your prayer has been heard. So today even, let me just go today. If you're like, what's the story for today? Guess what, there is one. The story for today, last Sunday we were praying for a couple in our church named Brittany and Jordan Vickers. And they have been battling with infertility for years. But in the middle of their waiting, they stayed faithful to God. And out of that time, a verse that was given to Brittany was that God sets the lonely in families. And she actually started the alongside ministry of our church, believing that maybe our church could end the foster care system altogether in Lee County. She started that ministry and then she gets pregnant and she spends all this time waiting, wondering, hoping, wishing, and now she's pregnant, rejoicing. And last Sunday, we're expecting uh, the baby to come on that Sunday during service. We're like praying that the baby comes during the service, but he didn't come. So technically today is the first Sunday where the word has gone out. And guess what? The story we're talking about is a childless couple. So here's a picture of their son. I think I have one. I know, get your alls out now. He's so cute. And I saw this detail and I almost lost it. You know what they named him? Isaac. Samuel Vickers. Who had God been faithful to before? Abraham, Sarah, here's your son Isaac in old age. Hannah, Elkanah, here's your son Samuel in old age. And here we are today, the first Sunday since having this boy reading a story about the faithfulness of God. God is this personal. This is the invitation to know him. Why don't you let like time, be your invitation into more of him? Search the scriptures. Find a prayer. Find a promise to hold on to in your circumstance. Find a character that you connect with and say, God, I want this to be true more than what I'm seeing. This is the invitation for all of us to remember the God that always hears us. So we're going to step into that right now. We're going to go back and remember him. So if you have your communion sets, you can go ahead and get those out. This is just a time for us to remember the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. And if you're not yet a believer, you can just leave that underneath your your seat. If you don't have one, raise your hand. All of our locations, Overflow, Birmingham, everywhere. If you don't have one, just raise your hand and our team will come find you with one. This is a time we love for husbands to pray over your wives as you head into this Christmas season. But I want us Right now, I want you to think about what is your childlessness? What is the thing right now that's defining you? What is the insecurity that that is, you have made up your mind about that reality. Here's the best news. Every one of our insecurities, every one of our sins was nailed to a cross. So when we remember the elements, when we remember God's body or Jesus' body broken for us and his blood poured out for us, it is the invitation into more. So I want this one to be so personal to you. Make it personal. Pray to prayers that are personal because God hears you. Let me pray before we step into this time. Heavenly Father, I pray in Jesus' name you would comfort the family that's been waiting, that you would comfort the family that's been struggling. And God, we rejoice. We rejoice with Brittany and Jordan. We rejoice with those of us who've waited for a long time for something to come pass, and you are faithful to keep your word. So, Father, right now, speak to us, minister to us. We want to hear from you and nobody else. In Jesus' name.